Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight for a special racing episode is recent F1 convert, Troy Goodfellow. Yes, yes. we should probably explain the topic in a bit and why we're doing it, but here I am, recent, recent F1 convert. Yes. And welcome back once again, our friend, racing aficionado, and writer, Jen Cutter. Hello, it's good to be back, guys. Uh, yeah, so as I promised uh, slash threatened many months ago, uh, I did want to occasionally take 3MA on a detour into other specialty topics that are near and dear to my heart and uh, happily have become near and dear to Troy's. Uh, and now that F1 2011 has been out for several weeks and we've had some time to reflect on it, uh, the time seems right to take a week's break from strategy games to discuss another worthy niche, the motorsports game. Uh, we're going to be discussing F1 2011 in particular, but I think with Codemasters F1 series, it's uh, worth considering what makes these games distinct from racing games, and uh, to use Tom Chick's term, car PGs, like, say, Forza. Uh, before we delve into that, though, I wanted to start with you, Jen. Uh, so, so what did you think of F1 2010, and where did you think uh, F1 2011 needed to go? I actually thought 2010 was a pretty solid package. I've played a lot of the other F1 games, not the EA series, but uh, Codemasters did a version on PSP for 2009 that was brutal. Granted, there were severe limitations on the PSP. And then there was the uh, Sony Computer Entertainment Europe, one of the Liverpool studios, did an edition of like 2006 or something that got ported to PS3. And that was really interesting for other reasons. But anyway, I liked 2010. And I'm not sure that 2011 is as much of a step forward as it could have been. Yeah, that's that's kind of been my reaction too. Actually, like the F1 2010 was one of those games that the more time I spent with it, the more highly I thought of it. And before 2011 came out, I was really excited because you know from where I sat, having logged, God, like you know 50, 60 hours into F1 2010, uh, you know I thought that there were just some some clear tweaks and fixes you know, that they needed to make. And then maybe it would be just absolutely one of the best racing games on the market. And I kind of feel like what we got was a little more of a mixed bag. Uh, now, now, Troy, did you did you get some time with 2010? I got a little bit of time with 2010. I mean, I picked it up um, when, at the same time, I decided to learn about uh, racing games. Uh, so I picked up 2010 and a bunch of other games. I, had a, I struggled a lot with F1 2010, so I never got a really great feel uh, for the career simulation or the driving game, except for how it compared to other driving games I was playing. Uh, so I can compare it in that respect. But as far as it as an F1 sim, um, I probably can't speak to it and what has changed in F1 2011 besides what I like so much better in 2011, um, which I can get into in a bit. Well, actually, I mean, this seems like a good moment to, to pause for just one second, because I think the difference between, say... You know, the, a game like the F1 series and then the uh, Shift games that, and, and Dirt that you've been spending a great deal of time with, Troy, uh, is interesting. I, I noticed that you, you did tinker with F1 2010, but it definitely seems like your racing experience is coming from these more intermediate racing games. You know, what, 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 what steered you into those? They were easier, I guess, when it comes down to a bunch of things. I mean, first, they were, I mean, uh, ended up settling pretty much on Shift to Unleashed, because uh, it was so much better than Dirt 3, I thought. I mean, they were better-looking games. They had great vistas, the, but the, what I liked about them was they were a lot easier to play. Um, F1 2010 had a lot of things I had to pay really hardcore attention to, like, you know, things like wheels and pit stops and 
Generally, if you're playing a Dirt 3, you don't have to worry about pit stops. You have to worry about going over the cliff, but you don't have to worry about, you know, okay, when am I going to stop and fuel up or change my tires? All of, this, all of these things that I was just learning about um, in as far as, you know, even following F1 racing, which is something that I just started following seriously this year under the influence, the corrupting influences of some very, very dear friends. Uh, so these are things that I had to learn along the way. Uh, so it was a bit of, I started with F1 2010, realized I just don't know enough to really take advantage of this. I like how it drives, it plays well, I like how fast the cars go vroom, 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 um, but the map was too small, the tracks were too complicated, and as long as I was just trying to get into racing games, it was a bit too much at once. So I had to pull back a bit. Um, I liked a lot of them. I could see the appeal for them. Um, I did like the speed. I did like uh, all of the options. I liked all the career tracks. I can't believe they took so much of the customization out, and I'm sure Jen will have many fine, fine words to say about all the nice little touches they removed that kind of really annoy me. That, you know, why can't I have a why can't my helmet of the Maple Leaf on it anymore? I miss that. I have to choose from these crappy helmets now in F1 2011. Uh, but if, F1 2010 was a game that I, I tried, but didn't have enough hours in to really, really appreciate like you guys did. Yeah, the, the helmets do uh, deserve to be called out in F1 2011 for being really egregiously bad. Uh, I mean, they look like... They look like the worst possible like vinyl decals you'd see in a really shitty like Tokyo Drift type movie. Uh, that's th- that's kind of the helmet aesthetic that sort of. Hey, runs hey, through those guys game. have style. These helmets have none. I I don't know. They 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 look pretty much. They look like something I'd see on on the uh, on the side of a, a way overdone uh, Mitsubishi Lancer. But you know that's just. Me. <laughs> They're just so safe and so boring and pastel, and I'd like to find a driver right now wearing any helmet with pastel. That's not for charity. Those those guys are fine, but these are just really ugly. So, little details like that uh, seem to be, at least those were the first cracks to show in F1 2011, and I noticed that uh, these were a lot of your first impressions, Jen, and very early on you had some rather... You had some rather harsh things to say about some of the directions and apparent cutbacks uh, Codemasters made with F1 2011. Yeah, I kind of went a little snap show on it. My, my first impression of 2010 was actually really strong, because, first of all, I'm a girl. I like being a girl. Being a girl in a game, bonus. And when Codemasters comes out with, with the, you know, the tagline, you know, be the driver, go compete... In 2010, they were really, 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 really smart. I have to give them full credit in 2010 for letting me, A, be a girl, and B, have this incredible name bank. Now, this is a name bank that they used in Dirt 3 and Dirt 2, so I wasn't surprised to see it in F1, but it was amazing. So I could be called Jen. I could have my engineer talk to me. I can be recognized as a female player, which was huge. So 2011, I'm all geared up, I'm ready to go, and what? There's no audio name bank unless you're named after a current or former F1 player. Well, all right, whatever, whatever. So where do I tell the game I'm a girl? I don't. So even though I can put in my name because it's just a simple text input field, at no point will the game acknowledge my sex. Except that it will conveniently point out in every possible press clipping about how I'm a guy. He did this, he did that. It would be so simple to just, you know, have a toggle to make it a he or a she. And I found that kind of, you know, ruining some of the immersion that they had in 2010. Well, and the ge- the gender issue is just, is, 
it's such a weird example of, of Codemasters being so aggressively out of sync with the times. Because, uh, I mean, wasn't there just an announcement that EA is going to let, like, and be a pro mode uh, female hockey avatars? Yeah, that's uh, uh, already implemented. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got that. You've got, I know that uh, F1 greats and people within uh, the governing body of F1 have talked about the, the need to cultivate uh, female talent. Uh, and, and certainly there are other series that, uh, you know, have, have female drivers. So it's just a, kind, of, kind of an aggressively exclusionary move. But I guess in their defense, I would say that, well, you know, wh- why blame on sexism uh, what can easily be identified as just complete uh, incompetence because they, they stripped out all the customization that really created uh, this wonderful sense of immersion in F1 2010. I mean, you know, in F1 2010, my, my name was in that audio bank too. Uh, I could have my racing engineer talk to me and call me by my name, Rob, uh, you know, in the middle of a race. And, I mean, isn't that wonderful, like, when you're just, like, blazing down a straight or something, and your engineer, like, chimes in with an interval or, you know, a bit of advice and calls you by name, and he sounds exactly like um, uh, Felipe Massa's engineer with Ferrari, Rob Smedley. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was great. Loved him. Yeah, so, I mean, just this, this wonderful personality, this, this wonderful feeling of familiarity, and all of that's gone this year, and now it's all become impersonal pronouns. Yeah, well, what they said was that they removed uh, the name bank because they wanted to have more spoken dialogue, more variety. I have not heard that variety. Have you? You know, not really. Like, uh, yes, my race engineer is no longer telling me to look at my teammate's setup, which was something uh, you couldn't do anyway. Yes. <laughs> which was fun. But, yeah, it's removed a bit of the personality. Like, like um, Crofty is still the same, the interviewer, David Croft. Uh, he still, you know, jumps you uh, after a couple of races to ask predetermined questions, but I don't remember him ever mentioning uh, the sex or the name in the first place, so his lines don't really count in that. It, it just, it used to feel like with F1, with with the F1 series it's all like, the tagline is what, like uh, live the life? And so it, it was this it was this wonderful feeling of immersion and uh, you know, really playing a role that, uh, that the game, that the game created. And, and now with that gone, it's it's actually a much less personal experience. Paradoxically, in spite of all the ways they attempt to personalize it and create this sort of career narrative around you. Yeah, it's not much of one, because every time I read my email, I cry a little when they keep talking about, you know, he. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the, the, the emails are, are fairly poorly written, uh, so are the press clippings. Well, maybe bad press clippings. That's kind of, I mean, you, you've seen the state of sports writing today. I mean, that's just being historically accurate. Well, to be fair, F1 has some pretty darn good ones. And that's but, the thing. It, it it sticks out like a sore thumb in a game that, you know, has people from... Well, I mean, you got, like, David Croft there. It, it sort of says, it sort of tries to locate you in this world, but you're, you're giving these press clippings that would get you fired at Autosport, <laughs> um, at The Guardian. At the Toronto Star. It really doesn't matter. They're just <laughs> bad press clippings. Yeah, it's that, that's the problem with a lot of video games, actually, is every time there's a fake newspaper... And you start reading it, and there's like a passive voice head, uh, headline and a passive voice intro. Uh, it, you know, you just know that you know, it's just it feels wrong. This is not stuff you see in the real world. So it's it's a little detail, but I I kind of feel like you know it's it's indicative of a a lot of areas where the the game is just a little bit feature stingy. 
It's a very sterile wor- world, and I had to go look up the uh, the tagline because we keep dancing around it. So the actual official Codemasters line for F1 2011 is, Be the driver, live the life, go compete. It kind of mostly only got the go compete one in there. Yeah, and admittedly that is the most, you know, that is the most important. Mm-hmm. I guess one of the things that really excited me about F1 2010 and has not made any real progress in this edition is that F1 2010 didn't seem like a racing game. It seemed like a motorsports game. And there's there's a difference between the two that you know I think I think is really important. Um you know there there are people who swear up and down, you know, F1 isn't a real sport, motorsports aren't a real sport. But if you look at the the level of competition in F1 and what it takes to pilot one of these cars around the track, this is you know this is a this is a very serious form of racing. There's no room for the uh, um, you know trial and error that is the hallmark of you know sim lights and arcade racers. You have to know exactly what you're doing in these games and do it well. And once you start falling into the rhythms of you know professional racing, you know doing lap after lap after lap and testing setups and you know trying to fig- isolate um, you know variables that are causing slower lap times. Once you once you get in all that. You know, you're really sort of now steeped in the rituals that make up the sport you watch on TV, and that, and then that's when I really want all the other stuff that goes 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 that, that surrounds it. So, what in particular? I mean, what make what separates me? And for me, I mean, here I am, it's kind of still this racing noob. Uh, I finally have a wheel. I mean, that's kind of my big thing. I have a wheel now. I don't have a little controller, uh, so I kind of feel like I can actually take this stuff seriously. But I'm still, you know, steering a car around a track. Uh, so talk to me like I'm six years old. You know what separates it? You see, it is all these things that make it different from other racing game. That it's a motorsports game, not a racing game. What about it separates it? Because you know I'm playing shift, and I have to do these competitions where I have to beat the track in a certain amount of lap, and a, beat the track in a certain amount of time if I want to progress. So I do have to know that track, and I really can't do a whole lot of trial and error, and I do have to know where to take that turn. So how is this different? What? in your mind, and I want to talk to you, you too, Jen, because I know that you have a lot of, because you play a lot of four as a four, and you and I were talking a little bit today about the differences in how you play the, the two games, because of how the two sports are different, how the two car, how the cars are different. Um, how you approach F1 as a racing game, or as a driving game? You know, just to, just to start off, I, I think one important thing that F1, that the F1 series really gets is that uh, this, is not, this is not about winning. Uh, the F1 games are for for most of the time you're you're playing them. They, it's not it's not even close to being about winning. It's about meeting expectations, adding value to the car, and that's something that a lot of games are very winner take all. You know, you have to win a championship series based on points, or you have to finish in the top three of a race, or something like that. But F in F1, you know, it starts you at the back of the grid with a bad car. And your challenge then is to climb the ladder of F1, and and the only way to do that is by first of all, first and foremost, beating your teammate, showing that you're the top driver on your team, and then trying to show that you can, you know, at least do what's expected of the car, and if possible, bring the car to places it, you know it has no business being, and that's and that and that rings very true if you watch like how, you know, a season progresses in F1. Only only four or five drivers are really you know competing for a victory in each race, and the rest are competing for you know prestige and position. 
had a chance to get a contract with one of those four or five drivers the next time. And I can put a contract. Yeah, definitely. And? Let's talk about the other games for a sec. So in, say, Gran Turismo 5 or Forza, when you start out, you know, you start out with a Miata or a Fox or just one of the lower tier cars. And you kind of ease into it, and the AI is kind of nice, and you have these big wide tracks where there's plenty of spots for overtaking. And then when you open up an F1 game, you're an F1. You have to be ready to compete. And that's where I think the game really kind of missed a huge opportunity there to bring in new fans to the sport. Because you have to know the tracks. You have to know what curves and DRS is, because the game doesn't really tell you. So if you don't know this stuff going in, it's a huge learning curve, and I think that actually does a bit of a disservice to the sport. This could have been a great way to introduce people to all that goes into F1. I, I wonder about that a little bit. I think it's... I, I have a hard time seeing people grabbing this game. Well, I, I mean, it's a... You know, maybe it's a chicken or the egg problem. I wouldn't recommend this game to anyone who's not already a fan, and therefore I have trouble envisioning non-F1 fans getting this game. Uh, I'm not so I'm not so sure that need to be their their priority, but you know the point is well taken. It it does it does presume that you've been following F1 and the rules changes, and you know what's allowed and not allowed on a racetrack, and what your car can do. And if you don't have, if, if you if you aren't already familiar with, you know, say, uh, it, you know, what's a Lotus compared to a Williams? If you aren't already familiar with how does Kerr's work each lap, uh, you really you really are just sort of thrown in the deep end and told to figure it out. You know, because your engineer can be barking at you. It's like, oh, you know, you're losing time in this sector, and the guy's like, okay, where does this sector start? Where does it end? So just to bring up a random pet peeve of mine in all racing games, just give me my split times for every lap. Let yes. me scroll through it. I know the data is in there somewhere. Please let me see it. Because how do I know where I'm really improving when I only have my last lap to go on? Well, and the thing, and F1 doesn't even show you your last lap. When you go back to the timetables uh, in the garage, you only see your session bests. I know. Which is worthless to you if you're doing uh, performance testing and trying to get a setup for a car. Because the, the thing about F1, and I think this is, again, what sort of separates a motorsports game from a racing game, uh, is that in a game like F1, it's all about consistency. There is no value in turning the blazing fast lap that, you know, leaves your tires and smoking ruin <laughs> and, you know, you're half on the track, half off, and you kiss the wall a couple times and you get some crazy amazing time. Uh, there, there's no point in doing that. And if you, if you, you know, if you include that, if you include that time, uh, that, that one magical timer on the track where you, you set a fast lap, you know, by driving the wheels off the car, you're not going to have success in the longer races uh, that are really the heart of F1 because that's simply not how the sport works. It's all about, you know, what can you do? It's not about what can you do once with the car. It's about what can you do 20 times. See, in, in games like, you know, Forza and Gran Turismo, you know, you play one race and then you get through it, then you play another race and another track and you get through it. In F1, you do spend the time in the long race weekends doing three full free practice sessions, and then you've got qualifying where you're trying to make it through the different stages of qualifying to get to the shootout, and then you have the race. And yeah, the shortest one that you can do is what, three laps, and then there's 20%, 50% full race distance. Right. So you do have some control there, but you are going to spend a lot of time on the same tracks over and over and over. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's, I think that's the big difference really is, you know, that... You know, a, a game like F1 is all about discipline and managing expectations. 
And I think a lot of games, you know, a lot of your more uh, sim lights or arcade racers are much more about progress. They're about creating the story where you go and after a couple tries, you win every championship. You, you know, you, you, yeah, and then you move up to the next tier and quickly dominate that. Right. F1 is much more of a realistic slog through the ranks. And, you know, you can, you can have, you can find yourself in a position where, uh, you become a non-entity on your team. This happened to me in F1 2010 for for a long time. The first half of the season, uh, I was completely outperformed on Team Lotus by a Yarno Trulli, and I had no say over how the car was developed because uh, they're they're upgrading the car, you know, throughout the season, so it's gaining improvements. But the primary driver is allowed to decide how the car is developed. So I was just sort of sitting there, you know, a complete spectator to the progress of my team. And uh, it wasn't until I sort of came alive late in the season that I was able to start making the sort of moves that would allow me to get into a better car for the next year. No, like other these other racing games would never let that happen. You know, it, it, very quickly it's congratulations, you did great in this class of racing. Now on to the next thing, and here's right. a sweet new ride. And, and also, they're, they're very much about sort of, you know, to, to say let's you know to use the car PG example. They're also about spending a little bit of like you know in-game space bucks. And somehow turning your crummy Miata into, you know, <laughs> you know, into an X-wing, right. basically, yeah. turbocharged rocket. Yeah. This is the thing when you have a license that gives you access to all of these different types of cars. You want to show off all the different types of cars. Where you know, F one, it's one type of car. You just fine tune it to win races instead of congratulations. You now get a Lexus. Congratulations. You now get a Toyota or a Mercedes or whatever. You're moving up through the ranks. It's a series of unlockables in you know, the speeds and the Forzas and the GTs, um, it seems to me. Which is fine. I mean, I'm not a huge car person, but I like, you know, congratulations. It's like playing an RPG and, wow, I now get a sword that that does, you know, two more points of damage? That's a big freaking deal. Um, and it is, I guess, uh, for me, racing a car, too. You know, I guess I kind of feel like it's the same sort of thing I run up against in a lot of RPGs is that because there's so many of these little, you know, pat-on-the-head upgrades where you've got a slightly better, you know, widget that's going to help you do the job better, that the game begins to feel very samey. And, you know, I mean, in fairness, I have not played uh, the latest Forza. I have not played the latest Gran Turismo. Uh, so, Jen, you can you can tell me if I'm wrong here, and I and I really hope I am. But the problem I've run into in these games with these huge garages of cars is that yes, you can you know you can you can move up from you know a Porsche to a a Lamborghini or something, um, but but and then you can and then you can upgrade them, but it never feels as distinct as it does in a more serious racer where little changes in cars they're so well modeled that it's this completely revelatory experience like now you're in a different car in a lot of these other games i kind of feel like those differences are muted and that takes a lot of the fun out of driving for me well definitely i'd say like yeah in the older games for sure if you had say well i'll go with the miata again so if you had a miata and if you had a boxster Yes, the Boxers are a better car, but they're both going to kind of drove the same in the older games. Nowadays, there is enough of a difference you can really feel when you're handling a rear-wheel drive versus four-wheel drive or front-wheel drive car. You can feel the difference in the classes, and the tuning menus have gotten so much better these days, so you can really tweak things to your liking, the same way that F1 has a, a pretty decent 
tuning menu so you can mess with gear ratios and get as nitty-gritty as you want or just use some pre-made setups. But when it comes to F1, I do agree with you that I like that it's about the driver. The car is not going to make you better. You have to learn how to perform in that car. I'm, I also start with Team Lotus. I'm a big fan. Though it kind of sucks that you're wearing Hickey Kovalainen's skin, basically, as you watch him get in the <laughs> yep. car with his name on your belt. So creepy. Oh, so creepy. And yeah, first of all, you can't lose to Truly. I, like, he's a nice enough guy, but you no, you can't lose to him. And they did him a disservice, I'd say, in 2011, because he's always at the bottom of the grid by, like, a couple of seconds. I've noticed... Well, they did Lotus a disservice, because they've got them stuck as a complete backmarker team. And okay, let's go back to F1 2011 for a second, (laughs) because, like, this is the sort of... I mean, this is, you know, like I I said before this game came out, this is kind of my Madden in a lot of ways. Like, this is, you know, this is a sport I know well. I know... You know, the same way uh, Bill Harris over at Dewey's Quality will uh, take a stopwatch out and time people running 40s in the game. Uh, Awesome. You know, just to make sure that everything's on the up and up. I kind of have a similar reaction, and at least maybe it's to do with difficulty level. I'm only playing on, like, intermediate as I, you know, as I work my way through my first campaign because I really don't want to be in a mid-pack team for too long uh, because that's where I spent my entire F1 playtime (laughs) career. Um, But anyway, I've noticed that Things just don't square with the like. The things just do not square with what I've seen this season. And in F1 2010, they largely did. Uh, in F1 2010, it did seem like finishing orders uh, were at least the you know the 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 front eight you know or so were yeah. roughly who they should be. Here, I am finding myself in you know uh, duels in you know the the top eight positions or something, and like somehow like Buemi is up there. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, and and it's not because of retirements. Uh, it's just because the somehow these these m- like mid mid pack teams or back marker teams are making their way to the front. I've seen Vettel in the back of the pack in the middle of the pack all the time. Me too. He, he yeah. seems to spin a lot, which is really not how that works. We should yeah, clarify for our listeners who do not follow F one that Vettel is the repeat. Uh, is just one has just clinched his second F one championship in a row. Well, and it makes it makes this uh, this ra- this this edition of the game very easy to give it a you know give it a sniff test you know because this season it's been very clear what the pecking order is and Sebastian mm-hmm. Vettel has dominated uh, this 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 season with uh, his his Red Bull you know in a way that I've maybe only seen one other time in you know over a decade of watching the sport. So I mean it's it's very it's very weird not to see his character in game always near the front. It's very weird to see uh you know Barrichello uh in the top 10 positions routinely uh you know climbing his way up the ladder. These these are strange things that simply should not be in a game that purports to be about the 2011 season. I know and what they did with their trailer was brilliant when what was it, a month or two ago they released a trailer that kind of summarized the actual 2011 season thus far so the game knows and the people making the game knew that Vettel was kicking ass but you know by the time the game was released Vettel still kicking ass but a couple of the drivers had changed and that's not reflected in the game just because development started so long ago they went with the initial driver lineups and not the recent changes well, my game, Massa is the one who's just running away with everything, <laughs> and Mark Webber's in second, and then it's usually Alonso or Hamilton in third. Well, this is this is the other thing I, I noticed is that um, 
you know, before I filed my review, I took, you know, I, I went and did time trials. And I took, you know, pretty much all the cars out, tried to get a sense for the differences. And one thing they do really well here, and I really appreciate it, is, and they did this in F1 2010 to an extent too, but it's even better now, is they differentiate the cars wonderfully. Uh, driving for a different team does feel like you are driving a different vehicle now. They all have, they have different sounds, uh, they have different cockpits, uh, but most importantly, they just have different handling characteristics. I agree, they did a fantastic job with that, because that's what F1 is about. Yeah, and it's something that all these cars look so similar, right? But you'll hear drivers talking about, well, you know, Ferrari doesn't have a good car this season. And what does that mean when you're talking about like cars at this level? But what what the F1 series does really wonderfully is it, it really shows you uh, in this in this really you know deliciously tactile way uh, what it feels like to drive a championship caliber car as opposed to uh, you know a backmarker team, for right. instance. Yeah, I'm kind of savoring the backmarker experience now because I know I'm going to play long enough until I eventually get a contract with Red Bull, and I can't wait because they've been one of my favorite teams since David Coulthard was driving for them way back. But I, I love the progression. I love that you know you know what you want. You know that eventually you will get to the point where hopefully you'll have a good enough teammate to get the Constructors' Championship, which is when your cars amass enough points as a team to beat all the other cars in total. And then hopefully be strong enough and stronger than your teammate so that you win the individual driver's championship, which is the goal of the game. Now, have you have you driven, uh, have, you, have you taken the Red Bull and the McLaren? These are, uh, you know, for those of you who don't follow F1, these are, these are the elite cars in, in F1 this season uh, and, the, and pretty much every season. Have you taken these cars out uh, for, for a spin? Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> because, uh, well, because, you know, Rob and I are both on, on Lotus, and uh, Lotus has what everybody else has, which is the DRS system. It means your back wing moves a little bit, and you get I actually cheated on Lotus. How did, how did you cheat? <laughs> no, when I, when, I, when I rolled my new character for uh, F1 2011, I Rolled your new character. I, uh, which, by the way... Which means another- naming him. A complete fa- another another major failure. You weren't able to port your character over from previous seasons, uh, and the stupid games for Windows makes it basically impossible to preserve your character if you have to wipe your hard drive, uh, which I had to do. <laughs> so it's anyway. uh, so there's a couple errors there, but I I just couldn't handle another season in the last six positions of the grid. Uh, so I I decided to jump forward and I started as a, a teammate to Rubens Barrichello this season with the Williams team. So I've got I've got the sweet curse system. Wait a minute, how did you get Rubens as your team? Was Maldonado considered the first driver, or was that a contract thing? No, it was. I was able to start the game from day one with Williams. Oh. Yeah. yeah, they they gave you a better selection this season. I think I could have started uh, f- with Force India, uh, which is probably the best of the rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought that was maybe a little bit. A little bit too much of a jump forward for me after you know a a season or two with Lotus, uh, so I decided. I'm starting. To, I'm starting with Force India, so I deserve it. Yes, and then I'm the one who gets screwed when it rains because in the rain you can't use DRS, and the Lotus doesn't have curves, so I don't have any boost whatsoever. Do we want to explain, so just, what, want to explain what these are? Oh uh, yeah, DRS is, is this neat thing. It's it stands for Drag Reduction System. 
It's one of those fancy, funky-looking rear wings on the F1 cars. It'll actually lift and let air pass through it in a different manner, which lets them gain speed in a straight line. Now, this comes at a cost, because if you try and turn with that rear wing open, it's, it's going to be rough, because F1 term uh, cars really rely on, on downforce, on air pressing down on the car for cornering ability. So, you know, you're trading off turning ability for straight line speeds, and you're only allowed to use it at certain points during a race, if you're following someone by one second at these certain markers, and you can use it whenever you want qualifying, and these are things that the game does not tell you. So you definitely have to know going in, and the book is entirely useless. So even people who buy thinking, oh, I'll learn while doing, you know, you really have to know somebody who knows what they're doing, or be committed to doing a lot of independent study. Uh, what book? The manual? Yes, the non-existent one. <laughs> it has a manual? Yeah, I, was, I wasn't aware. Uh, well, yeah, the PC one does not, and then the actual book that comes with 361, you're, you're better off going online and, and downloading the one that they have for Steam, which is pretty much the same, so you're screwed. Yeah, and um, the, the other system, it's it's all very video gamey, it's a, it's a weird season. Um, mm-hmm. But the other system is the KERS, the Kinetic Energy Recovery System, which uh, basically charges up a battery uh, in the car, and it, al- it it produces six seconds of charge per lap. And you've only got those six seconds. I think it's like forty. What is it? Like forty watts, forty kilowatts of of power. But so you've only got six seconds of basically uh, a, le- a electrically assisted boost to use each lap, and you can use this anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you sort of parcel it out and got to figure out where it's the most advantageous to use these bursts of power because it's very good for getting up to top speed quickly, but it's also very good for say powering out of a corner into a short straight and skipping a lot of your normal acceleration time. So it's you know it's and then all of this becomes. Uh, you know, much more tactical when you're in position to try and pass somebody. Mm-hmm. And passing, for people who don't watch F1, passing in F1 is extremely difficult. These two devices are made to encourage more overtaking, which has definitely been happening in abundance this year, and not as reflected in the game. I'm not witnessing a lot of passing going on. How about you? Not really, and... Unless it's me, you know? <laughs> Unless I'm doing something really crazy that no one would try in real life. Or I've had AI drivers pass me, but it never quite, see, it never feels right. Really, um, I see a lot of, I see a lot of the AI drivers doing sort of the insane uh, stuff that I might be expected to do. You know, if I were just sort of screwing around at the game, because uh, the yeah, most of the passing I see from AI drivers is these insane charges down the inside of a turn and then a late break, and then they just sort of straight line the corner and take off, or they hit you. Uh, which is really frustrating because most of F1, most of passing in F1 is this long process of hunting people down, getting in position, and then making your move. Mm-hmm. Right until someone smacks you in the back of the rear and you're done. Your race is over. But it's, it's really a shame that this curves and DRS stuff and this overtaking really isn't reflected in the game, as you say, because when I started following F1 this year, I mean, you know, you and Jen have been talking about it for a while, and about F1. You've both been huge fans last year. But what really got me interested this year was some stuff that Jen told me about all the new things in F1. The curves, the DRS, and the tires. And how these added some new elements of strategy into, you know, when to pass, and the whole overtaking, and the new pit strategies. And it actually made 
uh, racing, which, you know, I was one of the people who tend to dismiss it as, well, you just drive the car fast around a track and try not to crash into anything. I mean, how hard can it be? Um, but it added an element of strategy to it, a really serious element of strategy to it. And the strategy was in your face. You couldn't avoid it. Not that the strategy wasn't there before, but now it's kind of obvious, uh, which is kind of nice to see for people like me. So if this overtaking isn't that clear, I mean, are the tires reflected at least? Does, does tire strategy matter? That I would say absolutely. One of the big improvements they made, uh, as far as I can tell, is the the car has a much better feel in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm able to feel the feel the grip on the tires much more clearly than uh, than in last year's edition. I don't know, Jen. I mean, I thought last year's edition had kind of a very weird. Um, you know, it, I got used to it, and eventually it started to feel pretty good. But it, it always felt a little bit disconnected. Uh, a little more so than I'm used to from, say, like other games where I'm driving with a force feedback wheel. Uh, it always felt a little bit disconnected, uh, especially under braking. I never had a strong sense for how my tires were doing. This game, I have a very clear sense. Yeah, uh, how they, they've orchestrated the feedback has been phenomenal. Now, we should clarify for everybody. Uh, when I'm playing on the 360, I have the Microsoft wheel, which does have force feedback. This is the old one, not the new speed wheel that looks like an upside down, uh, looks like a U. And then when I'm playing on PC, I'm using a, a Logitech G27, which is one of the higher-end wheels, fantastic force feedback. Now, you're playing with the wheel. Which one are you using? Uh, the the pre-G27, the uh, Logitech Momo. Ooh, very nice. Old school. And then Troy now has a Logitech um, Driving Force GT. Yeah, none of us have Fanatic wheels or Thrustmaster wheels, so apologies to fans of those. But yeah, the, the, the feedback projected through those wheels has been fantastic. And if you're driving with ABS off and you flat spot a wheel, you know it's your fault because you were riding the brakes too hard and locked up your wheel and then just destroyed your tires and you need to get back to the pits. And you can really feel that. Yeah, so I think it does make, I think it makes tire strategy much more rewarding. Um, you know, as you're trying to plot when you're going to stop the car and what type of, uh, you know, are you going to take the more grippy tires or are you going to take the harder, more durable tires? Uh, these are all big decisions uh, you make before the race. And then it becomes a real question of, you know, can you execute well enough on your plan? Like, you know, one of the things you can do to gain major advantage is, you know, you can say, well, I'm going to drive, I'm going to be very smooth. You know, I'm going to take care of my tires and I'm going to beat people because they're going to stop four times during this race. And I'm going to stop three times or twice. And so I think you know that having having the having the uh, you know cars have this really wonderfully distinct feeling, Troy, mm -hmm. is um, you know it really it really does create that sense of strategy because you 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 know when when the car is starting to go off because the tires are worn out, and you've got maybe you know five more laps before your scheduled stop, and now you're really paying for that risk you took earlier, you know, and saying, well, I'll be able to bring it home on these tires, no problem, and, you know, switch and we'll get to the race, no, no, no trouble. We'll get to the end of the race, no trouble. And then you're out there and you're just trying, you know, you're just trying to fight the car and keep, keep to the road until you can hit your pit window. That's been a lot of fun to watch the late, the late nights and early mornings is, you know, <laughs> listening, God, so many late nights and early mornings. Why can't they have all these races in, Canada instead of freaking Asia, uh, but listening to uh, the talk beforehand and actually learning about the tracks and you know having Jen especially say, oh, okay, what about this track do I need to know? How does it affect 
what does the temperature have to do with the tires? People in Korea talking about, was it Korea or Japan? Suzuka, the curbs were all screwy. Okay, how is this going to affect tire strategy? How is this going, what do I have to be looking for? Uh, and as someone who has learned, I think, a, a, quite a, a little bit about the, the sport as I'm watching, this is actually neat to follow. And if it's a good race, you can actually see this transpire. And when I'm playing F1 and when I'm driving it, that's, those are the sort of decisions I want to be making as a driver. That's the, the, the strategy stuff within the sport. And I'm not going to go all Tom and Chick and say that that makes this a strategy game. Uh, but I have, but it, that's really the one of the things that really pulled me into F1 this year is you do have this, you can actually see the strategy taking place and setting up beforehand and the costs are so obvious. But the new Pirelli tires, apparently the old tires didn't have the same effect or something. The the Bridgestone the previous tire manufacturer was Bridgestone and they tried they they tried the option versus prime tires thing last year, but they didn't create a big enough difference and so the like basically a lot of drivers just ignored uh, one okay. set entirely. And they lasted a lot longer. You're seeing more pit stops this year, and it was Singapore with the faulty curbs going on. <laughs> it was Singapore. There we go. Thank you. It was one of those. Well, they're all Asians. What can I say? One of those places over there, it had me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. The only night race, come on. Yeah, the only night race, that's right. Yeah, and, but, the, and then Kobayashi memorably took one of those curves and flew into the, that's flew into nice. the uh, fencing. But, there, will be, there will be links to summaries of all of these races at the bottom of the podcast. Oh, drop dead, Troy. <laughs> no, F, F, F1, F1, F1's, dead. F1's got great edits for all of these races on their site. Do they? Yeah, they do video. Awesome. Uh, you have to sign up for an account, of course, but they have uh, some pretty fantastic race edits and onboard footage from all of the races. Oh, and it costs cool. it, co- it costs nothing to register for the site, and they don't spam you at all. So it's actually really nice. Oh, I should have <laughs> signed up for that, and then I wouldn't be watching races at 3.30 in the morning. No, because there's like three minutes. It's like, oh, okay. set, set yeah, no, it's not, not a full replay. But yeah. it has, a, has the highlights, and they're a lot of fun. You know, going back to like, what it's like to drive these drive these circuits, you know, Troy. You started out by saying you can't drive these circuits. Now, what is it about like an an F one caliber circuit that is uh, so much? What is it that stymies you on these as opposed to some of the tracks you race around on in uh, you know like shift? Well, I mean, the first thing is first F F one twenty ten the worst maps in the world. Let's get this right out of the way. Little mini maps in the corner that first did not tell you anything. F one twenty eleven, I played some, and it's actually quite a bit better because I think as a better field of view, the draw distances are better. I don't know. But still, the main difference is, first, the tracks are not regular. These are tracks full of all kinds of screwy things that are just going to sneak up on you. That can be hidden by walls, trees, tunnels, elevation, the ruins of Kobayashi's car, Petra flying through the air. Any of these things can block your field of vision uh, at any time. Uh, so, you, it's unlike it's not, this isn't NASCAR. This isn't an oval where you know where the turn's going to be once you get it timed right. So this is why they have practice rounds. I realized uh, in F1, uh, so that in real F1, so that you get to know the tracks and you get to know the timing. And it's today I spent a lot of time doing the proving grounds uh, in F1 uh, 2011, just doing Melbourne over and over and over again. And then I went on to Montreal because you know why not? Hey, people of Canada. Um, and that hairpin almost killed me. Uh, but you, the the tracks are just so unusual. These are 
uh, the turns, the, the, the speed you go at. These cars are so, so fast. You can do 250 miles an hour, and then, oh, sorry, you got to go 70 now. And it just hits you pretty, pretty hard. Um, there's really nothing. There are very few tracks in Shift 2 that make you do that. There's really nothing in Dirt 3 that will make you have that drastic a change. And if there is, you can see it coming from pretty far away. Uh, there really isn't this sense that you really have to know the track and memorize the track. There is this insistence in F1 that you memorize the track, uh, that you be a driving, you, you live the life, that you be the driver. Um, and this is, and I have a bad sense of direction and I hate driving uh, in real life. So this is not something that comes natural to me. Um, but I'm making some progress, and it's fun to, you know, to watch that uh, lap time get get down, you know, knocking 10 seconds off bit by bit because you're learning the track. Um, now I'm not even looking at the mini-maps useless. You can't even look at it. It's getting a little better. But, you know, the, the F1 2011, I think, does a much better job of preparing me for the next corner, at least letting me know one's coming. Um, not necessarily the speed I have to take it at, but these are not these are not baby tracks. Um, this is not this is not car porn. This is geography porn. This is where you fall in love with the artistry of making a circuit that will challenge a driver. It's you know it's architecture. Uh, it's beauty and charm and terror, uh, all wrapped in blacktop and gravel. And that artistry is certainly something you begin to appreciate more as you as you drive more of the tracks because f1 races on a variety of different tracks uh you know constructed in different eras and some stand out and they emphasize different parts of the car uh you know they emphasize different skills on on be on the part of the driver um now now jenna you know which what tracks for you are are your go-to tracks like you know catalonia catalonia oh Oh, god Catalonia. Not, it's not Valencia, but oh god, I hate racing Catalonia. I'm so good at it now, just because I've had to do it eight billion times in every racing game. But no, that's not one of my go-to tracks. <laughs> uh, Suzuka, much like a lot of the F1 drivers, is my favorite track, bar none. It's not even close. Why? Uh, so, there's this complex called the S's. It's it really does look like a couple of S's just drawn and then made in tarmac. But there's elevation changes, there's slight radius changes, and it's just this beautiful thing. And when you get it right, you just fly through it. And then if you take it too hot in the first S and come up to the second one, you're not going to make it because you're coming in too fast, you're going to have to slam on the brakes, your back end's going to skid out a bit, and if someone's coming up behind you, they're, uh, they're going to pass you and you're going to lose all this time trying to regain it back. So it's just the flow of that, and then there's this other corner, 130R at the end, where you just take flat out. You think there's no way the car is going to hold this, but you just have it flat, you turn, and then you slam on the brakes as you come up to a really tight chicane. I, I just think Suzuka is one of the most perfectly designed tracks in the world. I have sort of the same feelings about Silverstone in a yeah. lot of ways, because it, it, it challenges, it's challenging in the same way, like if you... You know the Silverstone track. There's a series of S's, the uh, the uh, maggots and beckets mm-hmm. uh, uh, turns, and so at Silverstone you, you cross the straight and you have a pretty fast um, like 90 degree right hand turn, and then you're flying down the straight, and then you have this the track just sort of oscillates, uh, but it's getting tighter as it oscillates. So it starts with this very broad S, and then it becomes this very tight S. 
And the thing is, it's one of those things that, unlike a lot of the uh, tracks that are maybe a little more modern design, uh, the, the Tilke-era tracks, uh, named after the uh, German track designer who has basically created the modern F1 circuit and has a very, people argue, a very homogenous style. Uh, these are not the sort of things you see on his tracks. These are, you know, interesting little places like this are more the property of old classic tracks. And the thing about... You know, some of these tracks where it's just these these sharp hairpins and sharp sharp turns. You know, once you learn a braking point and an angle, the the corner is done. You will it, it is not a challenge. It is not particularly exciting to take. You know, it's just you're finished with it. You've you've mastered it. it. Has one trick. You know, complexes like the S's, and this is one of the things that keeps me coming back to racing games. Is it is something that you can take them so quickly so unbelievably fast if you just hit the right approach and you follow your line and you're thinking you know about you know a couple turns ahead and you just sort of follow the weave of the track and if you do it perfectly you'll come out with this unbelievable amount of speed and it's you know this the stunning rewarding feeling because it feels like you're about to fly off the track uh the entire time and you come out of it and you are you are just flying toward the next corner but if you hesitate at all you know, if you try to feel your way through the through this through these turns and improvise, you will lose a ton of time because you you either know how to hit these or you don't, and uh, that's that's something you don't see, and that's something you don't see at a lot of tracks. And th- there's a few places in F1 that challenge you on that level. And do the tracks in the game have do they do a good job of capturing that feeling? I mean, all you, of course, all, you, all you've played is the game, so of course. But well, we've, we've I mean, compared, 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 compared to what drivers say about them. I, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, listening to Jen, she certainly sounded like a lot of the drivers I hear talking about uh, Suzuka. I mean, it's it's something I wish I wish we all had the chance to do it. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice, but you know. Yeah, but we're we're not rich. No, but I I think that's you know that's that's one of the most exciting things is this. You know, a lot of other a lot of other racing games. It's like if you screw up, you just sort of bounce the car off the guardrail. <laughs> yeah. uh, you power through the grass. Uh, here, there's that. You know, you know when you screwed it up, and you also can feel it when you do it right. And that's right. You know, that's something that few games really provide. And I think a car game sort of has to be willing to punish you in order to really get across the excitement of doing it right. Like, you know, some of those, some of those corners you were describing, Jen, where, you know, you just got to, you know, it, you've got to take it, you got to take it flat if you hit the right angle. Uh, and if you take it flat, it'll still feel like you're going to lose control of the car. And every lap, you get this sort of thrill of dread where you're like, where you're watching, like, you know, the edge of the track come closer and your car is the limits of grip. And each time, even though you did everything right, you're kind of wondering, is this the time where it just sort of breaks away from me? And then every lap you get this sort of thrill of like oh my god i can't believe i survived that and then you gotta go do it again absolutely i I think that all racing games especially the people who enjoy them the most i'd say it's all about challenges it's all about personal challenges and it's intrinsic motivation you're not doing this for you know experience points or money though a lot of games will give you that it's it's how you know that you did that lap and that you did it to the maximum of the car's ability so as you know as as we wind this down um you know so my my reaction to f1 2011 in particular has been that you know they improved the driving model and it seems like this is this feels much faster than f1 2010 did uh it just like visually it looks more like the in-car footage i see coming out of these races uh where 
last year it seemed a little slowed down. This time a corner will just close in on you, you know, at blinding speed, and you just have to, you have to be basically counting down in your head because if you're waiting for visual cues, you'll react too late. This is the first time in F1 2011 where I've driven Monaco and just gone, oh my god, I can't believe people do this in real life. <laughs> because Monaco, it, it's such a closed track. It's a track that you can't do anymore. It only is still allowed to be raced on because of the history. It's all walls. There's no runoff. There's insane chicanes. Uh, on this blinding sunny day, you go from bright light to a long tunnel to right out in bright light. You have to refocus and pay attention to the chicane that's right after the super high-speed tunnel. And I, I think it's it's moments like that that we play F1 games. Yeah, and I really just wish, I think, you know, I think the driving model was improved. I really wish that, you know, I still feel like they're working their way toward a convincing AI, a convincing representation of, of the races themselves. Uh, the, you know, they've got rules enforcement. They, you know, they try to force you to drive like an F1 driver, but... They have safety cars. <laughs> Yes, that was the big thing announced, and uh, I haven't been able to trigger one. <laughs> not without, let's not, say, putting myself out of the race. I have not actually seen one myself. I did flip a car once, however. Yours or someone else's? Mine. Uh, you doing the Petrov ski jump out there? No, I completely, I completely wiped out in, um, I think it was Malaysia, uh, the, the Malaysian GP. Uh, I, I basically was taking one of the uh, you know fast turns just a little too fast, uh, the back stepped out, and I just started going sideways. And I just kind of decided to try to wrench the car around back into a straight line. And uh, so when I, you know, tried to turn into the spin, well, this was this was a 200 kilometer spin. Uh, so when I tried to just wrench it into <laughs> turn into the spin, uh, I basically just uh, flipped the car and went over a couple of times, uh, which was really cool. I'd never I never flipped a car before in uh, in in an F1 game, but. You can do it. But I do feel like, you know, the game like will slap you on the wrists and say, you know, you passed unwisely. You were driving dangerously. But it feels like when you're not around them, the AI drivers are totally in slot car mode. Like, they're, they're just not aggressive with each other. They're not really making a lot of, like, cool passes. They aren't driving very naturally, it seems. And then when they're around you, they turn into complete morons who are somehow immune from the rules. Yeah, I do get kind of annoyed when I'm penalized for something that the guy behind me did too, <laughs> and he's fine. That doesn't get marked as an incident on his book. Yeah, I mean, I had you know, I I must have played the first uh, corner of uh, Monaco because yeah, oh this is time trap. Yes. <laughs> I played that like fifty times because here's here's the thing: if you've ever watched this race, uh, this is the most dangerous part of the race because again, it's all walls. You've got what is it, twenty four cars trying to fit through this one turn that's about maybe two and a half cars wide. If that, <laughs> yeah, and there's a and, and the turn is artificially narrow because they've created they create a little curb that you have to sort of go around, uh, so you can't take the most inside line around the corner because uh, you have to respect the you know boundaries of the track. So all the cars have to go through this, and on the first lap of every every race at Monaco, people cut that corner because you have to, or you're gonna have an accident. See, I did, and then I got black flagged and disqualified. So, <laughs> Ditto. I, yeah, I, I got the uh, multiple illegal overtakes. Yeah, I I yanked over, avoided collisions, pulled in, and I got like one position out of the deal because I cut the corner, and immediately, yeah, penalty. Um, so I restart, and this time I go out of my way to respect that that curb, and I take the corner the right way. And then I see um, Sutil in a Force India. He just comes and like jumps the curb, 
rockets in front of me and uh, never gives the position back. And that's the sort of thing that, I mean, you know, this, this is a sports game. These records matter. You know, you're invested in the outcomes of these races. By the time you're racing the Grand Prix, if you're playing, you know, in serious hardcore mode, you've invested, what, three hours of practice? Yeah, I do a lot of practice time. <laughs> yeah, and so for the AI drivers just to be like, well, you know, screw it. They're going to they're gonna cut the turn and jump in front of you, or they're going to slam into you uh, rather than break. Uh, that's just really infuriating, and it basically, I mean, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be able to turn on damage in this game, because... Oh, you're playing, yeah, for Monaco, I did eventually have to turn it to cosmetic only, because I went through a billion front wings. But generally, I do play with damage on full and rules on strict, and, and it, it does get really tiresome when people are nudging you and destroying your bits, and jumping curbs, and you're the only one who has to go to the pits, and they're not getting a drive-through or anything. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing. I think, like, you know, if you turn on all the options, F1 2011 can be a really great sim. I don't think all the pieces are in place to let it be worthy of its sim features and aspirations. And so I kind of feel like F1 2011 uh, ended up largely in the same position as F1 2010. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure it's, there, there's an improvement, there's improvement in some areas. There's some real letdowns in others that kind of made it feel like, you know, a bit of a wash, even as a fan. Well, you can kind of tell that they were compromising for, say, like the console racers and the people who want the super realistic iRacing type difficulty. How so? Uh, well, well, the driver aids for one. You know, when you're playing on a console, when you're playing with a controller instead of a wheel, you're not going to have the same kind of feedback that the wheel people have. So you can't have ABS on full, and you can't have uh, hardcore traction control. And I will confess using automatic shifting sometimes. And uh, the assisted braking. I was playing with that earlier today. And basically, you can drive through Monaco with a throttle wide open. You're not going to win because it, the braking is a little extreme. You will brake very early and you will not get any throttle back until well outside of the turn. But it was, it was kind of a weird decision to have assisted braking on. So I'm trying to think of a situation where that would be helpful. But, you know, maybe if you're in, in the Red Bull car and you're way out in front anyway, you'll be able to use that. But it seems like a weird crutch to offer gamers. Yeah, and it, it basically insulates you from the experience of the game. Yeah, you yeah, don't have to touch your brake pedal. I, I will say I'm I'm so happy that this game shipped with track IR support. Uh, just being able to look around and check my mirrors and look into turns like i'm i'm sort of like when i'm when i'm driving now it's like this like whole body experience you know where i'm like you know weaving my shoulders as we go in you know go through turns and everything and you know it it feels it, it feels really rewarding that way so there, there there's significant improvements but i just you know i guess i'm i'm left like last year i'm left waiting for the next edition and hoping that they fix uh a lot of the you know underpolished uh, features that they left in this one. Well, a lot depends on whether they get the license still. I'm not sure that they have the rights to 2012. That's uh, yeah. See, I knew I knew they only had the license through 2011. You haven't heard anything about that? Nothing concrete, no. Yeah. Is the I'm, assumption this will go to EA or? Oh God, I hope not. EA God, used to have not. it. Yeah, that's what I'm. And thinking. they made and they made terrible games with it. They made well, awful, yes. awful games with it. Yeah, um, I think Codemasters has a great base to build on, and, and I, I do hope they get the chance to do so. Well, I know it, I know it was near the top of the UK sales charts. 
Uh, so hopefully... Which is basically the home of F1. Like, that's where <laughs> all the sponsors and money comes from. Yeah, and I mean, I just really think it, it'd be a terrible decision for F1 to give the license to someone else, because with EA, they don't give a shit. Um, and so they make, an EA, they make F1 games that aren't worth playing, and that's where they were in the late 90s, early 2000s. Right. And, uh, well, early 2000s, I should say. And when it was... Uh, who, I never played the PS3 exclusives... But it's just, if you're going to cut out, you know, the home of serious sim racing, the PC, uh, that just seems crazy for an F1 game. Well, to, to, for the F1 2006 game, especially for the PS3 port, uh, you know what? It was actually kind of worth it. They did a great job of integrating the drivers. You could actually create your character from preset types. So you could be a guy or a girl and different body types, hair types, uh, national helmets. So I got to have my Canadian flag. And amazingly, Yay. they had the uh, the parade lap in there, which I thought was cool. <laughs> you could turn it on or off. And oh, and they had um, Martin Brundle and uh, Jonathan the Jard. I can't remember his name, uh, but they were there and they were doing announcing during the game at separate intervals, which I thought was really great and would love to see a comeback. But no engineer to speak, so it, it was a bit of a trade off that way. Yeah. Well, I I hope they get the license back because I do feel like they are on the right track. They understand how F one works and what makes for a lot of the internal political drama. That I mean, let's face it. One of the reasons we all watch the sport is because it's a big rolling soap opera. It really is. <laughs> I try to pretend it's not, but no, I, I'm I'm hitting the gossip sites all the time, seeing who's gonna sign with who and who's having a feud this time. Oh yeah, you you go into the Kremlinology of you know interviews, people talking about their teams. Um, it's 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 really fun to sort of delve deep on that, and especially because F one is always on the verge of imploding as a sport. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. that's that's at the forefront right now. <laughs> uh, just like it was two years ago, and it'll be there again two years from now. In a second, I want to ask you guys like what what really would make F one twenty twelve a great experience for you. Uh, but first, for the last time, I've got to make a sales pitch for donations. Is this the last time? It is. Uh, right? Yes, it is. Right now. Yeah, so, so we're winding down our fundraising drive, and you're only going to be able to donate to 3MA for a couple more weeks. Uh, this is the last time we're going to bother you about it. Uh, this is the last episode that's going to be released in October, and as a matter of course, we don't hold the hat out uh, after, after Halloween. I have to extend my deepest thanks to those of you who have donated so far. I, you know, I'm incredibly appreciative of it. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to get in touch with a few of you. Uh, and just let you know how much I appreciate your support. You know, for those of you who haven't donated yet, uh, you know, why should you donate to 3MA? Uh, well, hopefully because you enjoy listening to what we do every week uh, and feel that we meet, we meet a standard that's worth your time and a little bit of your money. Uh, the The bottom line is that, you know, there's really no business model that would create and sustain a show like Three Moves Ahead. And, uh, you know, we do it because we love the topics. Uh, we love discussing them with each other and our guests. Uh, I've had a great time talking with guests and friends like, you know, Soren Johnson, Jim Rossignol, uh, you know, our friend Tom Chick, uh, designers like Brian Reynolds, uh, Johan Anderson, Philip Thibault, and a lot of others uh, over this past year. Uh, and in a lot of ways, that's reward enough. But I do hope that, you know, if you've enjoyed what we've done here for the past year uh, with what I hope has been, you know, an improved and consistent 3MA, then I hope you'll please consider sending us a donation using the button on flashofsteel.com. Uh, it's, it's big, it's golden, it says donate, can't miss it. Uh, and, and that's your chance to, to say thank you and keep up the good work. So last question for everyone. Uh, how do we make F1 2012 better? 
um, I want a different F1 2012. I want a racing management sim. Uh, I play sports sims. Uh, like I play, you know, football management sims and baseball management sims. And you control the team. I'd like to have an F. I'd, I'd like to be the team owner. I'd like to be, you know, the guy who owns Red Bull. I want to invest. I want to attract. Uh, Scientists and engineers. I want to go out and buy the best drivers. Would you I even? Go, would you even want to drive in that in that game? Or would no? You just... I I would I would I want to be I want to have a game where I can be the manager, where I have to manage the team egos and that sort of thing. I want to control the soap opera, some combination of out of the park baseball and The Sims, something like that. I think is you know something. I mean, you, you could have race strategy. You could have that part, but not necessarily be the driver. But here's what the strategy: you can be the engineers, but not necessarily be the driver. Um, and see how that works out. At least have a that is an option. That is an F120. Not that I don't like the driving game. I'm having fun playing it. I'm going to keep playing it. But I think that's be an interesting F1 game that I like to play. So you're looking for a Grand Prix story on PS3. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the Grand Prix story. Let's not go. Oh uh, no, no, I uh, love the game. I, actually, I love Grand Prix story. It's Codemasters was kind of working on that. I'm on F1OnlineTheGame.com. It's right. still not open, even though I thought it was supposed to be up by now. And right. it does say your team, create and manage your own team, develop your car, and compete for championship glory. Right. So hopefully that eventually launches, and we'll see if that's what you were looking for. And that's going to be online only, right? Yeah, it's like a browser game, sort of. Right, so that would be something that I would actually, you know, spend 20 bucks on. Jen? For me, it's tough. Like, obviously, they have to keep building the authenticity on the track and in the garage, because all the garages are pretty uniform still, with really weird garage people with thousand-yard stairs and moving hands that go through your car. <laughs> so I would, I would love to see that fixed at some point. And it depends on, on how far they want to bring in the off-track action. Like, whenever you see somebody else congratulating you on a podium, you know, they've got their helmets on, there's no podium celebration, there's no anthems. Uh, just like those touches that add the off-track authenticity. And But I'm not sure I want them to spend too much time on that to sacrifice the on-track. Uh, I was at the Montreal Grand Prix this year, actually on turn 6-7, which was awesome, because I got to see uh, Vettel slip a little and button pass him for the win. And having walked that track, it's just, it's astounding how well they brought that to the game. So I want to see more of that and just keep working on the driving, the handling, and please, the rules and AI implementation. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, the, those are definitely the most important parts. I mean, those are the most important parts of, you know, just about any, any racing game uh, once you've got the car handling right. Uh, I do think they've, they've recreated some some tracks just absolutely beautifully and i mean montreal is a great example you're racing beneath this like canopy of trees and you're you know the cars are stripping the leaves off and they're falling onto the track in front of you it's just this it's gorgeous there are moments like you're racing through a painting um it's just you know it's a wonderful experience i i, I do i do wish that there were more of those um you know uh thematic moments uh you know podium celebrations maybe a few more animations for uh you know for where you finish on a race, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I share your concern. Like these are things that these are, you know, it's it's a nice layer of spit and polish, but it's, you know, it's it's probably rapidly diminishing returns to focus on that compared to, uh, you know, patching what is the real hole in the boat, which is AI drivers who just don't behave right. I, I do feel like. You know, one of the, the one of the first fixes you've got you've got to, you've got to make is make sure that uh, 
you know, make, make sure that everything sort of looks right. Like, these games come out late in the season. You have a chance to sort of ascertain what direction the season is taking and where people are, are you know, are f- tend to be finishing in each race. Make sure that that's, that that's roughly happening and that the field's in the right order. Uh, because it, it's, it's a very strange, disconcerting experience to have, uh, you know, Vettel appear in your rear view, uh, you know, from 12th position. You know, when you're when you're when you're eleventh. Like the world champion, the most yeah. dominant driver in the most dominant car F one seen in a, in over a decade. You know, he should not be should not yeah. be slugging through the middle of the pack like he's driving a minivan. Exactly. There's no satisfaction in beating Vettel when you're beating him like that. You wanna be chasing him down the entire race and making it really close because he's not gonna make a lot of mistakes, so you have to be perfect. Not just show up. <laughs> that you know, actually that's a perfect point and okay that would be my ideal is you're taking all this into consideration driver personality matters you know i mean if if hamilton's right behind you you should be worried because he should have some sort of aggression value that makes him prone to uh either brilliant attacks or dangerous mistakes uh weaving all over the place yeah putting you into a wall uh and then (laughs) jensen button turning a totally unremarkable remarkable understated race and then slowly but surely appearing at the top of the charts at the end of the day uh these are these are all things that it should it should feel like when you've got a driver in your sights you're you're racing against that guy and not some generic ai AI driver number four yes exactly so that's that's my dream um and i do love your idea troy of uh, trying to build the team because I do think if you were to you know if you were to, like create a game that's going to rival EA Sports, you'd want that general manager mode. You'd yep. want to be like begging Adrian Newey to come you know do the aerodynamics on your next car because he is divinely inspired when he d- designs a car. <laughs> that's so. why I play a lot of Grand Prix story in the iPhone. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I, lie. I picked a team. I picked a God. yellow car. I named it Jordan GP. I had a ball. I play so much Grand Prix stories. I couldn't quite get into it. I think it was just a little too cute for me. It's a little too cute. Only in you know in in Grand Prix form. it is is cute. That's why I'm hoping that the Codemasters Online thing is actually going to happen. Yep. Yep. Well, give give me Flavio Briatore's Grand Prix story, and then we'll talk. All right, so that'll that'll do it for our show. Uh, Thanks for putting up with a bunch of racing geekery tonight, and we'll be back to our regularly scheduled uh, death, destruction, and strategy uh, next week in no time. Uh, Thanks, everyone. Say goodnight. Goodnight. Later.